You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. So we're back again for week two as we continue in the slight edge, reading our next um, 70-ish so pages. We did pages 71 through 138, and um, Kim Presky is here with me again, helping me process and debrief this book. And um, yeah, so let's just like hop right into it. So Kim, how did you feel about these pages, what was kind of your general reaction as you were going through the week? I thought this set was a lot more reader friendly, I guess is a word for it. Um, at least for me, the last section was a little harder, especially the first couple chapters. Like I said, they were more business oriented. Um, this one, he definitely seemed to connect with his audience more and I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and I thought it was applicable. Yeah. I personally felt like um, a lot of the concepts in these chapters, he does a really nice job of weaving them and intertwining them with repetitiveness, uh, which is needed. Repetition is needed so that it, it's instilled. But I started freaking out, I think, by the end of the week because I was like, I'm not highlighting as much as I did the first week. But I would agree because the first week he was setting the stage, so there was more to kind of process and take in and he was planting seeds and now he's unpacking those seeds. And, um, so it was all it, like, it was all good. Um, but I also was like, I don't, it, but it like felt like, I don't know, at the end of the day, I felt like I read like one really juicy chapter rather than several different chapters. If that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. But, I think it was more connected. Yes section was much more tied in yeah. together and related rather than the last section was more standalone chapters almost. Yes. And, and I, uh, I'm, I, uh, this is the section that includes, uh, his daughter finishing a chapter, um, which in the first edition, he writes the story about his daughter. So that, that has changed since in the second edition because now she's actually writing in her voice. But I find that whole dynamic fascinating of talking about this philosophy that he lives by and how his daughter is implementing it. And then there's even hints from his daughter about his, her mom and his wife. Um, so I found that interesting. Did you find that interesting too, Kim? I did. I, yeah, I like that part and how she tied it in with her um, mom and her grandmother. And yeah. so it was a generational piece, which tied back to his mom as the millionaire in the first section. So it's, it's like he expands on what he introduces. Yeah. Since read it, I don't know if he keeps doing that the whole way through or not. Um, but I thought that was interesting that he did expand it. Yeah. One, I won't be a spoiler. 
Well, I noticed you weren't a spoiler the last time because on page 76, I found some of his 10 core principles. So I thought that was interesting because last time I had mentioned, I wanted to know what they were and boom, there some of them were. Yeah. But when you were talking about that last week, I totally was like right there with you because I remember the first time I read this, I kept being like, I just want to like jump through the book now and try to find them. Like, does this give us this list? Because if he doesn't, I'm going to be really angry. (laughs) Yeah. And he didn't give all of them, but he did give several of them and they were much simpler than I thought they would be. Yeah. I was kind of looking for those like lofty mission statements that everybody does. And these were very simple, just a couple words, core values. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that is, um, you know, if I were to put my, my business hat on, which I do business consulting, sometimes it's not really where my jam is anymore, but, um, I think that we have just tried to make it too fancy and complex when we come to um, organizational planning. Like there's these mission and vision statements that not even senior leadership understands, yet we expect um, frontline staff to understand what the ultimate goal is there. Same thing with like values. I think we get obsessed with I mean, there's whole courses on like how to make your values more fancy. So like honesty is too boring. So we have to come up with even just saying integrity or something like that. Like, why can't we just say the word that, that it is? Um, And I appreciate that. I appreciate that simplistic approach. That's not, and I also appreciate, you know, as we're like, I guess what we're halfway through now that this book, like, because it's so simplistic, you're not so overwhelmed by all the stuff that you need to do. Like, I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like he left me with something that he like engraved in me that I could focus on and stew on and marinate on, but not like where I've read other books where I'm like, Oh my gosh, they just gave me 25 new things that I need to try in order to be successful. And then I get so frustrated and I don't do any of them. Or move on to the next book with the next 25 things. Uh-huh. And this yeah. one, a really good job of recognizing what you're already doing, which most people don't do. They blow by their achievements because they're on to the next one. And, and they don't recognize the micro movements. So um, a lot of times they discount whatever they've done because it's not big enough or fancy enough or makes a big enough splash on social media or any other way. Um, so this really does say like, oh, no, recognize where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. I like. Yeah. All right. So let's move into, which I'm sure maybe we kind of touched on it a little bit already, but let's move into the parts of the pages that we read that really kind of resonated and we connected with right off the bat. Um, I'll start. I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating about reading this book right now is I feel like it's just loaded with signs for me or affirmations of that I'm going down the right path. Um, And even things that I've been thinking about, and I've said this about this book multiple times when I've read it, that I'll be thinking about something and think almost like I, like, uh, and I know this is not the politically correct word, but think that I'm actually like crazy, like I'm making stuff up. Um, But 
then this kind of magically puts some statement out there that makes me feel like I'm not alone in the way that I'm thinking about things. Um, so for me, um, diving into the whole concept of, he talks about the secret of happiness and the importance of happiness. Uh, one of the things that I thought was fascinating is I've spent a lot of my work trying to use fancy terms besides the word happiness because I thought happiness was too basic. Um, and for him to just call it out like that and say this is the term that people are are familiar with and what we're seeking and we're trying to, you know, and I know I try to put fancy words in there. I know that in my Chinese medicine studies, they try to put fancy words. I know um, even in the yogi world, we try to use fancy words, fulfillment, joy, passion, whatever. At the end of the day, it's I want to be happy <laughs> in its basic form. As a child, you want to be happy. Um, and so keeping it there. The other piece that I found fascinating was um, on page 101, he mentions about uh, this concept about when you show up with intellectual weight and credibility of academia and all this well-documented research in your back pocket, it opens doors you never could get through with personal development. Um, and so he's using that in relation to all these happiness studies that he shares in this chapter um, and how these studies basically give it the momentum for people to start investing their time and energy in there. Um, and one of the things that I found fascinating about that is, at least for me and my, my specific client niche, when I do work with uh, executives, um, that is kind of my challenge is even though I found tools that work, if they don't have those studies or those academic backings, it's really hard to open, <laughs> open their minds and those doors to be, to experience them and go in. Um, almost blindly so that they can experience it and get the, the benefits out of it. And so I'm always doing research to try to find how I can link something that's academic there. Um, and this is also predominantly why I keep exploring the concept of going back to school and pursuing my doctorate. Um, because we all know <laughs> if you had to call me Dr. Sam, you would think a couple more times that maybe that adds to my credibility. Um, Whereas I'm still possibly saying the same things that I was saying before I was a doctorate or had my master's or whatever. And even my master's, I mean, I pursued that just to have the extended credibility to open the doors and for me personally to help more people. So, yeah. So that obviously that chapter really resonated with me. Um, spent a lot of week looking at doctoral programs just because that's kind of how I got my brain going. Um, but yeah. So how about you, Kim? Yeah, it's funny because we kind of landed in the same chapter. Um, so I also landed in the secret of happiness, um, but mine ties in, well, different but the same. Um, so um, with happiness as a therapist, I often kind of thump around in other areas because um, there's a lot of pieces to pursuing happiness. Um, and so a lot of times I look more at and functionality and how people are doing and what their support networks look like and what the relationships are um, because of those are kind of the, the basic pieces. So if you think about like Maslow's triangle and the hierarchy of needs, um, safety is at the bottom and basic life pieces are at the bottom and then um, self-esteem is, is higher and actualization is higher. So, um, so that's kind of where I, I've always kind of sat on that. And even my own recovery, um, 
I've looked at things like that. So this is the first year. Last year, I kind of dipped my toe into joy. Um, and this year, I've really been open to happiness. And when I did my uh, vision board, Sam had said, hey, why are there all those flowers on there? There's not a lot of flowers on there. <laughs> why? Um, and so um, going back to that younger part, um, you know, I have a biology degree, I have ecology and, and botany as, as those pieces. Um, and so there's a simplicity there in dealing with flowers rather than people. Um, and so those do make me happy because I don't have to work as hard at it. Um, so it's kind of that play work balance. I think we always talk about with people and he talks about, you know, those simple slight edge, happy habits equal success. Um, pieces and not overdoing them. So a lot of times people kind of overdo the self um, care pieces at some points and then they get overwhelmed and then they just drop all of them um, because, you know, it's kind of that all or nothing thinking and you add in, you know, going to the gym and having to eat correctly and, and hitting minutes and all those pieces and it just becomes an avalanche of self care. Um, so he says like only do one at a time and be reasonable, not try all five at once, which I, I liked that simplicity piece of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I liked how he does talk about how it, it builds naturally. Like mm -hmm. if you start going to the gym every day, at some point that's going to be your norm. And then you can add drinking more water <laughs> or whatever meditation or, um, whatever it is, but you can then focus on that habit because the other habits already established. Oh, and I think it is called happy habits in there. Doesn't he have those in there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes you get one and we tend to build on them and keep them. And sometimes it's shifting from one to another. Mm -hmm. So where the season of one habit <clears throat> has kind of gone and it's time to add another one and you have to let go of the other one to have space for it. <coughs> yeah. No, but that's true. Like, I think we real, well, I think we need to realize that life is fluid. It is not a, is not a framework. We don't turn into adults and we're exactly the same for the rest of our lives. We are evolving and changing. And so are our needs. What I needed now is completely different than before I had any kids. <laughs> And now that I have kids, it's completely different what I need. <laughs> Self-care for me could easily be a 10-minute power nap every day, and that could make a huge difference in my life. Um, but yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, so I like that one. Well, I guess we're both fans of the happiness, Chepper. <laughs> yep, I think we landed in the same place. Yeah. So for everybody else, if you're curious it's chapter seven in the book so if you're getting the book and you're going to jump around based off of our conversations it's chapter seven the secret of happiness obviously resonated for both myself and kim very strongly all right well anything else uh that you wanted to comment on kim before we move into our closing kind of um closing captions or quotes or passages that we want to leave everybody with well, I think the other part was that he has some of the kind of classic viewpoints. Um, so chapter nine is starting with a penny. And some of his quotes, like the a penny saved and a penny earned, are those old-fashioned perspectives that we, at least in my generation at 50, kind of grew up with. Um, 
So it's interesting that it kind of takes it back to those kind of time-honored old belief systems. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Well, and a long time ago, I read a uh, article. It was in the Harvard Business Review, but they, who, I don't even remember who it was, but they definitely called out this whole idea of, you know, we were obsessing with trying to create these new things, which were basically old things with different, um, put in a different fancy box. Um, but there are some tried true leadership and management go-tos that have worked over the generations and why change that. And I, I appreciate his, his respect for that and also recognizing that because that, it, I think putting those in the book makes me feel like these are going to work because they're not outdated from, and, and, and he uses examples from all different kinds of arenas. Um, I mean, he's in there with Martin Luther King um, talking about Rosa Parks as his, as his penny. Um, you know, he talks about the, the first surgeon who thinks to wash his hands, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was just very relevant to mm-hmm. our current circumstances. Um, oh. If it hadn't been for that surgeon, we probably would not be mandated to wash our hands right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and move into our closing captions or closing passages. Um, so mine was on page 73 Um, which was like right when we started reading our second portion. Um, But it says, the problem is that most of us live with one foot planted firmly in the past and the other tucked timidly in the future, never in the moment in relation to everything, our kids, our health, our home, our career. We tick through the hours in constant regret and Monday morning quarterbacking about what's behind us and with worry, anxiety, and dread about what lies ahead. Um, It's really fascinating to me because while we have been quarantined, um, besides the first probably initial 10 days where I was worried about the future, I was worried about the past of where have we been and could I have been, you know, uh, infected or what's going to happen in the future, uh, I eventually start to just kind of settle in and I think started to just recognize that in some weird way, not knowing when the future would even be allowed to begin again. <laughs> and so, um, and the past became almost like Groundhog Day. <laughs> and I think because of that, um, I was able to start to enjoy kind of this just being in the moment of whatever it is it is and not worried about what tomorrow is going to be or what happened yesterday. And my husband actually said to me, um, he said, I don't think I knew how much the world like drains you until we've been allowed to be, you know, quarantined for what, seven, eight weeks, whatever it's been now. Um, He's like, and, it, and it's just from life, like from you worrying about everybody to working hard to pursue that future path. And I think it really like resonated with me in regards to everything that I have no idea where I am in this physical moment because I'm so trying to 
sustainable momentum to get to the next while also appreciating whatever was in the past as a learning experience so that I don't repeat or I grow to my maximum. And then in between, I'm just really, really tired. <laughs> so um, I think it's a really nice reminder of, especially when he talks about in the last chunk that we read that we can't, or maybe we haven't read this part yet. So maybe if I'm spoiling, <laughs> I don't remember, but we can't control time. Um, and we can either make it work for us or against us. Um, and, but that's bringing it back and these pennies are back to what's happening in this exact moment. And I can't know what's happening in this exact moment unless I'm present. Um, so I don't know. It was a very humbling kind of reminder, I would say. Um, one that I think I need to hear more frequently. Yeah. Sounds like a good one. <laughs> So Sam already kind of landed where I picked. So uh, I picked on 133, the pennies and the butterfly wings section. Um, and I picked the part where he talked about the surgeon and washing their hands. Uh, and there's some good reasons for that. So, uh, so the passage is back in the middle of the 19th century, a time when the role of bacteria played in disease was still completely unknown. Most women would rather give birth on the street than go to the clinic. They knew that their chances of survival were better on the street. They knew that delivering their babies in medical establishments of the day gave them a 1 in 10 chance of dying. At the Vienna General Hospital, where a Hungarian obstetrician uh, worked, the mortality rate was like 1 in 3. Uh, and so that doctor made a radical proposal before operating surgeons should wash their hands. He was widely ridiculed. Surgeons kept delivering babies dirty-handed, and women kept dying. The medical establishment just couldn't see how something as insignificant as washing your hands could make any difference. And because of it, thousands of people died unnecessary deaths. And then he talks about how that doctor washed his hands anyway, and his idea was eventually accepted, which led to the saving of untold millions of lives. If it wasn't for his insignificant little idea, there's a good chance that you and I wouldn't be here because our grandmothers or great-grandmothers might never have made it through labor. And so I think that's a big piece now. It's still timely which is interesting um because we're in that time of uncertainty like you talked about and so weeks before this happened um with that science background i was already watching um and had a conversation with one of my colleagues probably two or three weeks before where i had said um that kind of a um, a piece was going to come where things were going to shut down and he had said to me um that we wouldn't ever come to martial law. And I said, no, not martial law, but, but that same kind of um, a piece of, of asking people to stay away. And so, um, so there is a part to, I think, in entrepreneurship and business and in any kind of category of being ahead of the curve and not being accepted. Um, I had that in the school shooting, which now we have, um, words for we call it a moral dilemma when you have to do things that you don't agree with and we've talked about that in the quarantine of of having to make decisions of um you know the first responders and um frontline workers of deciding who survives and who doesn't and who gets care and who doesn't um so there is that moral dilemma piece and now at least we have language to explain what that is um and we can talk about it so um 
So while wearing a mask or washing your hands may seem insignificant and inconvenient, um, we know from the past, and he has it, um, you know, in the 90s when he wrote this book, that it did make a huge difference historically. And so you never know what those slight changes might make and the small inconvenience that it might take time-wise or bending your values may make a huge significant change in history in the future. So, so I, I thought that was pretty interesting that it was there and it was so timely. Yeah. Well, and, and the fact that he identified that it's so significant when, when he wrote this book, there was not uncertain times. Um, and now to know that, you know, there's something about timing, why we're picking it up now and, and reading these things at this point for you and I personally, but also, you know, for the messaging that we're sharing here. So you summarized it very beautifully. Thanks. Um, so, yeah. So I guess that is our uh, debrief or unpacking of the other 70 pages. We're going to be continuing this week reading pages 141 through 212. And then we're like almost on the home stretch there because I think the last batch is not really 70 pages. It's like 50 pages or something like that. So we're just plowing right through. It's always amazing to me when you're doing it like this, how fast the books go. Um, so, um, but yeah. All right. Well, anything you have to say, Kim, before we say farewell? I think the one thing I realized this week is the part of, of doing it is chapter chats um, that if I had chosen to pick this book out of my inherited book pile and started on my own and hit those first two chapters, I probably would have put it down <laughs> and, and not continued with the book um, because it's not something that I normally read. And, and the first two chapters were not easy for me. Um, but having someone to meet and knowing that I'm committed, um, and it's, so it's, it's more often than doing the once a month book club and you can kind of fake it if you didn't read it, um, actually meeting up with someone and being accountable and, um, actually needing to read it and be able to talk about it, um, has a huge value to it. And so I just wanted to say thanks. And that, yeah, that's something that I've noticed in the last, um, two weeks of actually reading through this. So, well, and thank you for sharing that. And that, that feeling is mutual, even though I picked the books. I mean, this, this time around, I I know the books that we picked. Uh, so I personally like them. And that's also because I have to do mass readings this time around. But the next time around, um, there's a couple that are I'm playing with the list. Um, there's obviously always ones that I want to make sure that I share, that I've talked to people about that I don't think would ever pick it up and read it if they didn't have someone that was going through it with them. But then there's a couple that I'm challenged to get through, but I know it has some really good stuff in it that I need, that I need to learn. Um, and so chapter chats does help me. We did this a long time ago. Um, and I think I had like three people in it. Um, and they slowly like trailed off, uh, cause it just got too much for them. But, um, uh, I read like five books that I would have never picked up before in my entire life. Um, and it was just amazing. And I have like all this information and I remember I was doing speaking engagements and I just sounded super smart, like all the time. 
because I had these random authors that I had so fresh in my mind that we had processed and you have quotes that you've like sunk in for your our, our debrief. So it's uh, fascinating to know the learning process. And even if you don't like it, like there's still something you learn when you don't like or you don't agree with an author. Um, you don't have to be like part of their fan club to get something valuable out of it. Sometimes just the affirmation or clarity that you don't agree with something is a huge learning experience in itself. All right. Well, with that, we will let you go, but thank you so much for tuning in this week and we will talk to you next week as we unpack the next 70 pages.